We now gather around God's word of scripture, and our scripture lesson today is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, starting at verse 26. You're welcome to follow along in your own Bible, on your mobile device, on the screens. There's lots of ways where you can just sit and listen. Let us listen to the word of our Lord. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. say that you're called anybody called what you're called that's good called what Anything but <laughs> called to what to serve God called by whom well we're continuing to look at unburdened relinquish relinquishing the clutter and embracing Lent we've discussed busyness and noise And this week, we're going to look at being driven or called. So how many of you would call yourself driven? 
driven, couple driven personalities in here. How many of you maybe have been accused of being driven but would not call yourself <laughs> another? All right. Is being driven a bad thing? No. How many type A's are in the room? Stand up proud type A's. There you go. Is being type A a bad thing? No. Type A's would definitely say no, right? All of us type A's went no. But if you get in the wrong way or on the wrong side or get left in the wake of a type A, you might have a different answer. So before this type A gets launched in, we're going to pause for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to gather and to study your, your word. Thank you for the example of John that we're going to look at. Help us to learn from him. Help us to learn how to be driven and called. In your name we pray. Amen. So today's passage I found really interesting because it's not one that I can really even say I remember reading. It's stuck between two really popular interactions with Jesus. Right before this, you have Nicodemus, which if you remember, Nicodemus is the guy that comes in the middle of the night and says, hey, Jesus, what about being born again? What's that up? What's up with that? And then, oh, don't forget, you have John 3.16 right, right there too. And then right after this comes the woman at the well, another popular, well-known passage. So yeah, this text does not get the deep dive very often. So I was kind of excited to have it something different to look at for a while. The second reason I find this text interesting is because we're actually hearing from John the Baptist. It's not Advent, and his head's not about to be chopped off. We actually get to hear from John and hear him as more than a voice being, call, a voice being called in the wilderness. He's not just out there shouting in his camel hair. He's actually a teacher. We don't think of him as a teacher. We don't think of him as having disciples and followers. But some of Jesus' first disciples came from John. So we get to see a little bit more about John, about this guy that we only talk about during Advent. And third, we get to hear John explaining his message and his mission. And we find he just repeats himself. He's saying the same message. He's not the Messiah. He's preparing the way for him. And he says this every time we see him. So this passage, I said, was easy to overlook. It comes after the most loved stories and passages. In chapter 1 of John, you have this beautiful creation story. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. In him was life. In him, there is no darkness at all. And then, right after that, you have John's role introduced. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that he might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Right there, John's argument that he's making in the passage we read today is made for him. You can't get any sooner than in the creation of the world. Jesus came first. John's just reminding his people that. Shortly after this, you have the miracle of love uh, that all college students love. You have Jesus at the wedding of Canaan recreating or uh, making wine out of water. It's the one all college students hope come true for them someday, you know? And then straight from there, Jesus goes into the temple, 
and throws it all out of whack. You get crazy mad Jesus making a whip. That was something new I saw. I'm like, oh, Jesus made a whip. He really was ticked. Turning over money changer tables and saying he's going to tear the temple down in three days. I think that's a pretty strong first impression. I don't really know what John could add to this. And then from the temple, you get Jesus with Nicodemus talking about being born again. And then we get the passage that even non-Christians can quote by chapter and verse. Thank you, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Tim Tebow. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think Jesus' identity and role has been clearly established by now. So why, after three chapters of this, do we, I mean, John's disciples, have to be reminded that John is not the Messiah and that Jesus is the one? Why is an author break the momentum and action and focus on Jesus and put the focus on John's mission? Well, so John could do exactly what he was called to do, to testify to Jesus. Think about it for a moment from the disciples' point of view. In the last little bit, Jesus had been busy and was stirring up some discussion around the community. And John wants everyone to know that Jesus has the right to do what he's been doing and to say what he's been saying. And he especially wants his disciples to be reminded again that John, that he is not the light, that Jesus is the light. Jesus is promised Messiah. I guess Jesus isn't the only one that has disciples that are hard of hearing. This whole discussion starts because his disciples are trying to start a turf war. Jesus is at the same lake baptizing as John and his disciples are. And John's disciples are upset because people aren't coming to John. They're going to Jesus. Now, throw in the mix that there's also some Jews, and you can insert here non-followers and synagogue authorities, who want to know what's up. I mean, it was bad enough that there was one guy baptizing, and now you have two of them? What is up? So both groups come to John, and they want to find out what the deal is. And John just reiterates what he's always claimed. I am not the Messiah. The Son of God is coming, and in fact is here. Jesus is the one scripture promised. I'm here to pave the way. John says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourself bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is not complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John doesn't try to argue with his disciples or try to make them feel better. He reminds them plainly what he has always said, that I am not the Christ, but sent to go before him. And if that wasn't enough and that didn't get the job done, he follows up with an illustration. He says, I'm just the best man. The bride does not belong to me. And this illustration of the bride and bridegroom is an old reference to God as husband, the bridegroom, 
and his people, the bride. It is used in the Old Testament by the prophets Isaiah. It's also used in Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devastation of your youth. Your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not finished. And also in Hosea. Thank you. So John is simply reminding the Jewish leaders present and his disciples exactly what he's been preaching all along and what we hear most often in Advent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Translation, turn back to your first love. Turn back to God. Your husband is home. Your Lord in the living body of Jesus has finally come. God is here. And John continues to tell his listeners that he's unchallenged. Everything is as it should be. And in fact, he rejoices it's finally happening. This joy of mine is now complete. And the next part of him is releasing, maybe even outright directing his disciples. He reminded, he's reminding them that they followed him not just to follow him, but to help prepare the way with him for the very man that they're complaining about. Jesus, or John's releasing his disciples to follow the one whom they've prepared the way for. He, Jesus, must increase, and I, John, must decrease. The real guy is here, people. Go to him, not me. John is claiming what, what is his mission. His mission to proclaim repentance and prepare the way for the, for the Messiah. And he's releasing what is not his. The mission to, sorry, I lost my place. The mission to collect all the disciples and give eternal baptism. To successfully fulfill his mission, John must see Jesus grow brighter and more prominent and to gather his flock, and he, John, must diminish. He is releasing his disciples and pointing them to whom they've been waiting and working for. In 31 through 36, he's speaking about authority and is still taking time to point to Jesus. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets a seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John points to Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament promises and also shares what he saw as he baptized Jesus. 
the guy, Jesus, the guy, Jesus, baptizing over there is the real deal. He is the one the scriptures speak of. He is the son of God, not me. And John proclaims again that Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin in the world. Jesus is the life giver, the one we have been waiting for. John tells us he is driven by the call to prepare the royal highway for the king of kings is near. So, so what? So what does this Advent poster child have to do with Lent? What does this call story, this mission statement, have to do with our Lenten journey? How does this help us unburden, release clutter, embrace Lent? What does this focusing of his disciples have to do with our discipleship today? Our theme today is driven and called. Would you say John is driven or called? Called. Driven? I don't think it's an either-or answer. I think there's a tension to be carefully ridden, and John is showing us that he is both driven and called. I love hearing people's call stories. I love to hear what God is up to, where he's moving, how he's moving. I love to hear what drives people. And I love to hear the stories of God moving in people's lives, stirring them to action. For those of us that have felt called or find ourselves called, and I'm not just talking called church ministry, there are holy calls outside of those recognized sacred places. For those of us that have intentionally pursued a call in our life, it's difficult to hold that call, that God-placed vision and mission, with enough strength to get past the difficulties that we will encounter. And believe me, the devil does not overlook the ones that are going about God's work. So it's hard to hold that call tightly, but loosely enough that we don't wrench away from God. That is what John's doing. He's staying connected to his call, but holding his turf baptizing, discipling, preaching, and teaching loosely so they can be returned to the one who gave it to them, to him, to the Lord, to Jesus, the reason he was working. I wish I could be more like John. I'm a great starter. I am driven. I'm optimistic. I am detailed-oriented, but not too much detail-oriented. And I like to get people involved in whatever I'm doing. I'm passionate I'm driven, and God has used these gifts and these characteristics and have given me opportunity to be in the building phases of different projects and initiatives and organizations. And I can relate to John because I've been the one who helps prepare the way for others to come and take and grow the ministry to places I could never take it. But I wish I handled it as well as John. I tend to handle things more like Saul. Remember a couple weeks ago, Patrick preached about Saul and that tipping point moment in his, in his kinghood. What happened? He took matters in his own hand. He got impatient waiting for Samuel, and he just went ahead without him. He took control. It was his army, his battle, his kingdom, his initiative, his work, his ministry. Saul forgot who called him. 
who anointed him, whose kingdom it really was that he was stewarding. He may have had the title of king, but it was not his kingdom. He got wrapped up in his version of the vision started by God. He got wrapped up into his timetable and methods, and he took the driver's seat and the directing role. I can't relate to that at all. (laughs) Yeah, laughter. It's much easier to be like Saul and to be full of good intentions and full of visions that were started by God. And we think we're still his, but in reality might be ours. It's easier to be the one in the driver's seat. I've got this. It's easier to be driven by our own visions and work. It's much harder to have the self-control and patience and reliance on the Holy Spirit to let God's vision and plans play out. It's easier to be driven like Saul than to be driven and called like John. John was driven. He was driven with a laser-like focus on the purpose, the call God had given him to testify to the light. So how can we be more like John and less like Saul? How do we unburden from our work to go to God's work for us? How do we take off our yoke and pick up the yoke of Jesus? First, you have to know your place. John knew his place, and in every interaction recorded about him, he was focused on his task at hand. Know your place by knowing your mission. I was blessed early in my ministry life to be challenged to discover my mission statement. And this little statement has helped direct me and weed through opportunities, both large and small. It's very me. Me on my good days, anyway. And I challenge you to know your mission statement. Ground it in Scripture. What Scripture always leaps out at you? What verses just get your blood going? What message do you constantly hear in sermons and songs and prayers and other passages? Ground your mission in scripture. And then look at how God has shaped you. When or where have you felt God moving around you or actually moving you? When do you feel not you working, but God working through you? What life experiences have shaped you? What do you want people to say about you? What is your legacy? What gifts and abilities has God entrusted to your use? Second, share the vision. John constantly told his disciples, then the Jewish leaders, anyone with ears, why he was doing what he was doing. Jesus did the same thing. John pointed to Jesus. Jesus constantly pointed back to the Father. Third, ask for directions. Pray. How many of you, pre-phones, or maybe today, stop and ask for directions? Or would you just figure it out? I hated stopping to ask for direction. Our family rule, and still is, we're not lost if we still have gas, right? And with our phones, we don't need to stop for directions, usually. I started driving pre-phones, pre-cell phones, and the first time I took my car down to college, I got terribly lost. 
Well, I had this appointment on Monday morning. It was the whole reason mom allowed me to take the car down to Columbus. And so on Sunday night, my friend and I hopped in the car. So we didn't have rush. I didn't have rush hour to deal with. And our plan was to drive to the appointment. Now, Columbus has this great outer belt. Like, it just is a giant loop around the city. So for those directionally challenged people, you hop on 270 and you go around until you find your exit. And we went around and around and went, oh, went around. And finally, we were starting to run out of gas. And it was getting late. And we were hungry, so we stopped at Taco Bell and went back to the apartment and never found my appointment. We never stopped and asked for, direc for directions. And how many of us end up on that loop in life, in what we're doing, and we never stop and pause and ask for directions? We go pick up Taco Bell and we head home and just keep driving the loop. We need to be in the word. We need to stop and ask for directions. We need to pray. When you're on a mission, it's crucial to know where you are driving and what is driving you. Be in the word. Be in prayer. There is no shortcut. We have examples of John. We don't have examples of John praying. But we have examples of Moses talking quite frankly with God often. And we have all the Psalms from David. Being on a mission, being in a mission, being called places a lot of need for prayer in your life. We have Jesus who took breaks away to be with his father. If Jesus needed time to be away with his father, I don't think that's something we can skip or do without either. Fourth, pass the baton. In our text today, John was passing the baton. His portion of the work was done. There was nothing left to prepare. His mission was winding down. Jesus was there. He's on the other side of the lake. He was passing his disciples to Jesus. And we see this example in other great leaders, Moses to Joshua, Elijah to Elisha, David to Solomon, Jesus to the disciples who then turned apostles, who then had their own disciples, Paul and his sons in faith. These leaders knew their place and when it was time to turn over the vision to the next leader that God has prepared. If you're driving, it's too easy to hold the vision for yourself and to let it die with you. If you're called, you understand that you're called to do your part, but that if there's more to the vision than your tiny part, you need to pass the mantle to those whom God has prepared and called to continue the mission after you. So I say all this like it's some easy four-point plan. Do these things and you'll find your special mission and you'll be on the path that God wants for you and life is good, right? The burden will be light. I mean, we're promised that in Matthew, right? But that's not how it works. It's so not how it works. But that's exactly why we have this example and why we have this story to us about John's disciples and John working with his disciples. We fall short. We may start on God's path, but then we take it over. We're passionate. We think we know what's best. We don't have the time to stop and pray. Decisions have to be made, people. We know what needs to be done and how to do it. We want to be the driver. We, want, we like to be the driver. 
And God knows this about his children. But yet he still sends his Holy Spirit to us and calls us and gives us gifts and gives us work to do. And it's the same work that he gave John and all those faithful that came after him. Our work is to point others to the light. We are not the light. We are pointing others to the light. Some do it professionally. Some do it by being Christ-like parents. At least we try. Some do it as being a point of light in their workplace and in their friendships. Some have a special cause or cause, causes and work that they do, and they serve as God's hands and feet. But no matter what you're driven to do, the burden is not yours. You are not Christ. You are not the Savior. The work might be yours, but you are not the light. Jesus is the light of the world, the light no darkness or crazy drivers can overcome. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you have blessed us with this time and this space and this community. Help us to find the opportunities that you have for us to be your light. Release us from fear and from burden and from our work so that we can be driven and called to your work. We ask all this in your name. Amen. We now have